All right, and uh, fortunately, um, fortunately, and that's okay, Kyle. If that's going right now, you can just trim it out. Mm -hmm. All right. Fortunately, we will not have any dinging going on. So okay. We'll do the intro. Here we go. So we can put in intro music. We've just chosen not to. So each week uh, we will be doing the music. Uh, Sobo asked if it's just with our mouths. And at first I thought, well, of course, but we may add instruments of our own, which I don't think any other podcast does. Uh, but without further ado, welcome to episode two of the Strength Ratio podcast. A lot of our frequently asked questions were from and concerning masters athletes uh, across different sports, any physiological uh, considerations or adaptations we will have answered today, considerations around training frequency, exercise selection, intensities, uh, sports-specific considerations. We'll dive into all of that and more. We're going to start uh, speaking a little bit more generally about what the medical world, or really the sports medical world specifically, says about training adults or masters athletes. And we'll kick it off, Sobo, with you. And if you want to dive a little bit more into human physiology with performance as we age, I think that would be a good place as well. So basically, anytime you want to kind of get a, a standpoint on exercise, the basis you always want to look for is a minimal kind of recommendation. And the best place to look for that is the American College of Sports Medicine. They are, they aid on the side of caution, but kind of minimal dose response. So like, what's the minimum an adult has to do what's the minimal uh, adolescent has to do to train. So they actually have recommendations on basically every type of population you can imagine on how they should train. So to get an understanding of where the basis should be for anybody who is just starting, this is the minimal kind of activity level that is recommended. You can always do more, but less that really doesn't fall into like a whole training program. So Basic, I'm just going to run through the quick things. Um, ACSM kind of breaks it up. So the first thing they talk about is frequency. You should at least work out two days a week. So that's the first thing. You should be doing some type of exercise if you are a master's athlete, at least two days a week. They describe it as moderate intensity, so about 60 to 70% of your one rep max or perceived you know, workload of 60 to 70%. And then as you age, they actually say that, um, that should get lighter, but there should always be an introduction. So 40 to 50% to try to get into the the workload. And once you've kind of mastered what you're doing, you can up the intensity. And they, their, their only other kind of consideration is progressive weight training or weight-bearing exercises. So basically any type of, of major muscle group moving will fall into that category. They also say involving muscle ma major muscle groups. And they also give a kind of a, a rep scheme, which once again is the very basic. They say one set of 10 to 15 reps of each exercise. And Sobo, does this come when you mentioned percentages of a max from a training max that these master's athletes are creating in these studies? Or is this more off of a, 
uh, perceived exertion standpoint? It's usually off a of perceived exertion or a predicted 1RM. So usually with with older athletes, especially with you know American College of Sports Medicine, their whole idea is they'll they'll test their their athletes or the, the older population on a of a, a submaximal rep to predict 1RMs. So they'll do you know a leg press or a or a squat and they'll do a set of 10 and predict the max compared to you know a younger population where we can actually get a true 1RM. What are they uh, defining as the older population? Like what age range or the, the population for the for the this age range for this category is fifty five and older. So it's 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 more of you know getting up into your 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 golden years. I mean, between twenty and forty five to fifty, the ACSM kind of all lumps everybody in the same. You know, if you're healthy, you're in that range of an adult, I guess. And you already, I mean, you've taken on a lot in the past handful of years. So you might be able to speak from experience as a growing adult, Sobo, who now has a new child and job and wife and family and doing it all at once that you've noticed that even at a ripe age of 30, 30 something, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> 30 something that you've had to adjust your training relative to Kyle's 23 years of age. So we've got, uh, Kyle's 23 years of age, my 26, your 30-something. And if you hear any babbling, uh, that's uh, Eric's uh, infant child. She's so we have old here in the background just hanging out doing the podcast with us. Yeah, we have uh, many, many age ranges to weigh in on this subject. And you know, we, uh, Strength Ratio as a business, has attracted a lot of master's athletes because these master's athletes have recognized that there is a lot out there to – really attack the performance side of things in sports specific realms of CrossFit, weightlifting, powerlifting. And that when they really try to keep up with these programs meant for 20 somethings, they just fall apart. And we'll get into the, the specific recommendations that we have in mind, not so much the baseline doses of frequency, intensity, or volume that we may consider for our master's athletes. But if we backtrack a little bit uh, and before we get into creating that good program specific for the master's athlete. So if you can speak a little bit more to some of the physiological changes, any uh, hormonal considerations or adaptations that happen as we age that the viewers should know about. I just want to make sure, even though those recommendations for, were for 55 plus, we're just talking about getting older and training in general, not 55 plus population. Yeah. Yes. So if you're, you're older and you're listening to this, there are guidelines. If you're younger than 55, congratulations. The ACSM just considers you a normal adult. So even if you feel early, that still doesn't apply to you. That Their recommendations are three days a week for a normal adult population. So it goes up a little bit. Um, still a moderate intensity. Um, so the, the training program kind of looks very similar, but they add a little bit more intensity, a little more volume to a younger population. So three days a week, it goes to 60 to about 85% um, max. And then the sets go up significantly. They go from instead of one of 10 to 15 reps, it goes to three sets instead of just one. So they just basically improve, they increase the frequency, increase the intensity a little bit and increase the um, amount of sets for a younger population. But 
basically they just scaled down a normal population's recommendations and called it for the masters athletes. Well, so if, if the sports of CrossFit and weightlifting, and I don't think they're, it's the masters cut off for powerlifting. I know it begins at 35 for the other two, but so maybe, maybe you can speak to this briefly because you just mentioned that there is, as you get older, uh, a recommendation of less intensity, less volume, really less everything overall. But because these master sports are becoming popularized and available now in people's 30-somethings, uh, you can speak to maybe what you've experienced yourself going from Division One football player to 30-something-year-old father. So there's kind of a couple big considerations. So as you age, you have, you know, time not on your side and it kind of affects your body in two big ways first one being neuromuscular and the second one being more hormonal and endocrine as we age we progressively go through a little bit of atrophy our body types change a little bit this is just general population not talking about people with specific but we generally lose hypertrophy as we age Men tend to gain a little bit more weight. Um, women tend to kind of remain the same but lose muscle mass as well. All kind of driven um, hormonally with a decrease in testosterone for men. For Kyle and Zach, they're at their prime. Testosterone for men peaks in your, your teenage years and maintains high up through your mid to late 20s. And then as you hit 30, it's kind of constant. And then goes to about 45, 50, depending on kind of how you've been training your whole life and slowly starts to decrease past then. And same idea with women, specifically looking at estrogen, kind of the, the women's equivalent of testosterone. That peaks a little later with, with, with women, with females. It peaks in their late 20s, early 30s, but then stays constant through about your mid-50s. And then uh, mid-50s, you have a significant drop-off and um, estrogen production and we call that menopause and the women's body starts to change significantly during menopause so there are kind of hormonal things that are going to lead to neuromuscular changes there are some decrease in neural drive but neural drive can be maintain, maintained with exercise so you got to take in consideration and we talked about this earlier that there are different types of people that train and their bodies are going to respond differently based on their history of exercise. If you're a master's athlete at 35 and been training since you were 20, your body is going to be significantly different than somebody who's 35 for the first time. And then you could just extrapolate that to somebody who's been lifting their whole life and they're 55 is going to be significantly different than somebody who is 55 and has never lifted before. The body's ability to maintain fitness, strength, hormonal levels is all based on how much you put in in your youth. So I always like to give the example when I teach this section that what you do in your adolescent and younger years, you are putting in the bank. So 18 to 30, you are putting all that in the bank. You are storing it up and you've built this reserve and you've kind of made a, a kind of a level of what your body should be. And then the rest of your life is maintaining that or decreasing that. So the more you have built up in your younger years, you can slow the decline of aging or you can maintain that as long as you can. So 
When we say maintenance, that doesn't mean a maintenance program. That just means your body is not going to be able to respond as great as if you were 18 years old again. So with that in mind, Sobo, if you're working with an athlete who comes to you and they are 50 years old and you're measuring progress, what might be a way that you can help them see that progress over time? Would it be what they're capable of relative to a certain age? Would it be more about their either uh, maintenance or even slight improvements in skill if we know that top end strength and hypertrophy will be decreasing over time. How might we keep this population motivated to continue to do more knowing that they may not see those gains either with the weight on the bar or in the mirror? So they, they can see, older populations can see increases in strength. It's just not at the same level as an 18-year-old. So you can track their progress. It's not going to be as great. You're not going to see, if you see an 18-year-old kid who goes up 25 pounds in their squat in the first eight weeks of training, you're not going to see that type of improvement with you know, an older population. You might see a 5 or 10-pound ten, ten increase, 5 or 10% increase compared to you know, a large amount. So there is ways to kind of monitor progress. What I actually like to do is, do you feel better? Do you move better? Can you do things that you couldn't have done before? Can you do things that you thought you could never do and now you're doing? So it's more, especially with with elderly, or not elderly, I don't want to call them elderly, older people, I mean, I could probably fall into that as I'm close to being a master's athlete for CrossFit, that if you can do something that you couldn't have done or you're still doing it later in life, that would be the gauge of a successful program yeah and when we consider that as these athletes age and we have these different ways of uh, quantifying uh, progress that this progress is possible that we can see increases in strength we also want to consider if someone comes to you or comes to us for the first time having never weight trained and they ask is it possible for them they haven't built up a bank before there's really nothing uh, that they can reference. Well, it's still possible f- uh, for them certainly to see gains. If you imagine an X and Y axis uh, where over time the slope of the line decreases uh, with their performance naturally relative to the time as they increase in age, well, if their training age is very new and they have nothing in the bank, Well, there's still a lot of upward momentum, even though the slope of that line is on a downward trajectory, if that makes sense. Uh, Certainly easier to describe with uh, a visual, but I think whether the athlete is trained or untrained, there certainly is progress to be made. And it's important for them to believe that too, uh, to get on with the program, knowing that uh, their numbers can improve. Yes, but as Sobo, you mentioned, and as we advocate the 99% of people following training programs want to look good, feel good, and perform good or perform better, perform well. And this kind of gets into a topic of performance versus health. And Kyle, if you want to speak to maybe in your experience working with master's athletes, have you noticed a difference in the goals that they might set, whether they are hooked on a specific number that they want to hit, or is this more in line with, yeah, I, I have these goals in mind. It's cool if they go up, but really, I just want to stay healthy. I can't really afford to get injured. I've got a job. I've got a family. Uh, How can you help me there? 
Uh, well, kind of, you kind of answered it a little bit, but uh, I, I think, yeah, just um, speaking to older individuals, usually they have, I mean, they still have goals, certain performance numbers they would like to hit. Uh, but many times, uh, at least the people that I have interacted with, it is not at the expense of uh, health. Uh, so you still uh, have these numbers you're shooting for, but maybe you, instead of like a three-month goal, you set that over like a year goal. Like, hey, I would really like to hit this, but let's do it over this next year as opposed to let's push for these next three months to try to get this uh, certain weight or certain set of performance standards that they're shooting for. Yeah, and maturity almost comes to benefit both the coach and the athlete. Mm-hmm. So rather than having the instant gratification that a 20-year-old may need to keep pushing forward and see gains, we've found that our master's athletes are more committed to this long-term plan that's committed towards improved health and sustainability. So uh, if we just talk for a moment, um, and, and I'll turn this over to you guys, uh, what might we want to consider when we look into CrossFit and powerlifting and weightlifting? Uh, ought there to be any specific uh, movement selections? Uh, do masters athletes have to be doing the same exercises as what the general population is doing? Do you want to go first, Sobo? Yeah. So it all come down comes down with masters athletes. If you are doing a specific competition, CrossFit, powerlifting, I've worked with masters, track and field athletes, what is required of the sport first and foremost? If you can't deadlift and you want to be a a masters powerlifter, you're going to have to learn to deadlift. And if you're not, and you're a sprinter or doing masters track and field, you could avoid that completely if that's something that you don't feel comfortable doing or brings extreme pain or soreness. There's no point in forcing lifting on somebody who doesn't have to do it for a performance. So if you take just a general health output come, it's you got to be able to move successfully, easily and perform the lift or the or the or the movement. So if you're doing exercise selection, you got to kind of do a, a needs analysis and kind of weigh the pros and cons for it. And you have to do with all athletes, but probably a little bit more in particular with a master's athlete because time is of essence, so you don't have time messing around trying to figure things out, and you want to get your best bang for your buck. So there's a lot of considerations with exercise selection, specifically with with a master's athlete that you don't see with younger athletes, I guess. Yeah, and and two things I like to – look at there and some of them we've touched on already but are one again the training age so have they been training for you know multiple years uh or are they a beginner um and then also uh training history including any previous injuries so let's say someone is a power lifter and obviously squatting is required for that sport uh but maybe we just won't have them squatting uh as frequently um because if they squat, you know, twice a week or even just like if you did a whole me- mesocycle without squatting, uh, just that way they can stay a little bit healthier. You can get your, you can get your legs stronger many ways. Uh, and then maybe as we get close to like the competition, that's when you throw squatting back in. Um, and they, might, they wouldn't do as well as, you know, if they were squatting all the time because specificity there. But 
you can still like work work around that a lot um, in terms of what you're selecting. And I think that lends a hand to being especially important if there are more, let's say, flexibility demands that mm-hmm. need to be met relative to someone who's 20. Though we've seen people 20 or even younger who move with crazy restrictions, whether that's due to just prolonged sitting in school or what have you. That's not what this is about. But if you were to load someone up with a squat with low frequency, we want to see not just more load on the bar, but hopefully an appropriate dose where they can ease more comfortably into the motion if it's demanded of their sport. Where if it had caused pain before and this person had an injury history or they don't feel entirely comfortable with exercise or with the exercises that the sport demands, why would you load them up heavily? Yeah. If they can't break below parallel, why would you have them follow a program that's designed for someone who has the training history, who is pain-free, and who has uh, just the natural ability to take on high volume or high load? So I think the the safest, most uh, wise method of starting this, if you are a master's athlete on your own, is just err on the lighter side. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe- I, was, I was just going to say like, uh, hopefully this makes sense. Um, how I go about programming, I think doesn't change that much. It's just like more how it's implemented. So you're still following. Like, can you give, can you give like an, a specific example of what that might look like for the the masters athlete who squats versus? Well, well, I, I was trying to g- gonna give the example of like. Um, so I'm still gonna follow like the scientific principles of training. So like progressive overload. Uh, uh, volume, intensity, uh, th- things along, um, specificity, uh, stimulus, adaptation, th- those kind of things. Like I'm still going to follow those, uh, the core those principles. principles. Stay true. Um, it's just like in implementing the program, I might, like you said, err on the lighter side to begin. Or um, when I talk to them about their training history, um, we'll make certain changes in the program to accommodate. For- so it's like you still follow the same principles, but based on how you implement it, based on their their history – uh, their current age, uh, um, uh, prior injuries, uh, certain goals that they have, like the implementation is what changes the most, mm-hmm. but not actually like the underlying foundation of it, yeah. if that makes sense. Certainly. And, and it all contributes to a healthier master's athlete who can continue to train into their 60s, 70s, or 80s and beyond uh, because we really do take very seriously the health aspect behind this. You know, if a 20-year-old gets hurt and they take two months off of training and they're a weightlifter, then they take two months off of weightlifting because they're 20 and that's totally fine. But if you have a master's athlete and maybe you, the viewer, uh, can relate to this, you don't have the time to be injured and miss work. Mm-hmm. It's not really an option. It happens. It's just not really as much an option for you. You have so many more responsibilities than a 20 year old in college who has outside of just making sure that they get to class on time and get somewhat good grades. They, they only have themselves to care about. So there's a lot more at stake, which is why the programming has to be that much more concerted. And why as the master's athlete, you need to think twice before you start looking at any type of template out there as for who it's meant for and uh, really what, is most in line as Sobo you mentioned with their own needs analysis. So if you take a a weightlifter, a master's weightlifter who 
loves weightlifting. They want to get better over time, but they don't have to be the best in the world. And they see other people squat snatching. And it's just not happening for them to squat snatch. Well, we always say just don't force it. Don't try to fit the square peg into the round hole and force the squat snatch and risk injuring your shoulder. Same thing with a CrossFit class. If it's not happening, don't try to force it. Just power snatch instead or split snatch. Or maybe just try to find a totally different exercise like a one-arm dumbbell snatch. The, The big point I'm trying to make here is that you have to be considerate of this health versus performance spectrum. You may have been very competitive when you were younger, but does high performance come at a greater cost now? Uh, Something you have to ask yourself, honestly, we hear a lot about people living in the past, but Mm -hmm. uh, at what expense? If you know you can still make gains, you just need to make sure those gains come at an appropriate rate. So, um, Sobo, if if you can speak a little bit more um, in, in your own experience to other external factors that masters athletes may have, uh, such as, you know, whether it's, uh, time commitments, whether it's anything related to, I don't know if you can speak about dealing specifically with women who have menopause or other, um, nutritional considerations, but you can just touch on that a little bit more. That would be, uh, great to, to gain your insight and personal experience about just other, uh, Uh, commitments that become considerations when writing a program so you know i just want to just listen to you talk i think came to my mind that that the youth are a little bit more uh forgiving when you train a youth or a a younger person because they can you know you can squat heavy one day and be really sore and be able to move the next day and if you're older and you squat really heavy and you're sore the next day, it's, you know, twice as hard to move. So the, the recovery, um, and I have an article that I was reading today um, about recovery in older, in, you know, older people. I think the, the study was looking at 60-year-olds 60 old and older. But, you know, the big thing is if you have a decrease in testosterone, a decrease in estrogen, those are your two big endocrine boosters of your body that's what helps you recover you probably have a huge time commitment that you didn't have before you have a family you have a job so you're probably not being able to sleep eight hours a day you might be getting six i think the average now is almost a little over five and a half hours of sleep a night the average person gets now so you're not getting that full eight hours to recover you may not be able to get you know the ideal protein shake in when you're done you might not be able to have the perfect macro to micro ratios for your diet so there's a lot of things that when life kind of comes in as, a, as an older athlete you can't just hang around all day and think about lifting and pound protein shakes and work out you have a job you might have time restrictions on can I go get a workout in at lunch I have an hour for lunch so if I have an hour for lunch and I'm going to use that time working out then where am I going to eat my lunch? Am I eating my lunch in the car to and from the gym? And what kind of healthy meals can you eat in a car driving to and from a gym? Or you go back to your desk at your office and you sit there and eat lunch. So there's all sorts of different kind of, I call them barriers to entry with, with the older population because they have to deal with life. And they have to deal with 
you know, the decrease in performance, if it's, if it's there. Um, we look at Tom Brady, who's 40 years old, still playing, you know, with a bunch of 21-year-olds. So there are ways to get around it, but there are special circumstances you got to take into consideration. And when Kyle and you guys were talking about lifting and, and, and exercise selection, I think training um, master's athletes is actually a really cool thing because with a young athlete, you can throw anything at them. You can just go print off a random exercise book from the internet, Google workouts, and give them that, and they're probably going to get better. Wait, use it. <laughs> internet Google workouts. You, you go to Google and you type in workouts. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> so you can get those, and and for the most part, if you have an eighteen-year-old uh, guy or girl, they'll show improvements with that. But you try to do that with a fifty-five-year-old, a forty-year-old, a thirty-five-year-old. They're not going to respond the same because there's huge limitations outside of time. There's the training age versus the biological age. There are movements that they might not be able to do at 45 years old. There are restraints to previous injury. An injury when you're third, you know, 22 years old and you tear your ACL, you pop back real easy. You have you that same ACL, that knee 20 years later, doesn't quite bend the way it did when you were 22 years old. So all this has to take into consideration, which led me to the thought that like, you can really be super creative with training master's athletes. So if you think, okay, they can't squat to depth because they can't handle weight, well then how can we get them through that range of motion with you know, that exercise? They, can't, they, they have some mobility issues, but we still want to get you know, that knee near parallel on a squat. Well, maybe we do some assisted squats until they get stronger. Or maybe... There is an issue where they are really strong at different ranges of motion, and we can play around with bands. You know, they, they can squat, they can stand up with the bar and 45 pounds, but they can't go down with it. So how can we decrease the, the eccentric part, but increase the concentric part? So there's all sorts of really cool kind of things you can play around with with master's athletes because you've got to kind of play to their strengths a little bit more than the youth because – the youth are forgiving. If you play to their weakness, you'll burn them out and they'll just bounce back. You play to a master's athlete's weaknesses and focus on those, you might continue just to bury them under the strain of, of exercise. So one thing I wanted to, to bring up, maybe you guys can talk about this. Uh, in my many years of life, <laughs> I feel like when I, I, I are wise beyond your years. Whenever so you I hear well be a master's athlete. Whenever I hear um, uh, masters athletes talk or um, you know, read an article on it, I always hear I have to start doing the little things more often. Uh, what do you mean, like the little? I, I don't, it's it's a very like in quotations, like not sure what that means. But usually, what I see people say is like they start doing a ton of mobility or these crazy exercises. That those are like the little things that keep them healthy. Where to, to at least to me, it would seem that those are then the focus, as opposed to like, well, like no, you, like sleep, nutrition, uh, making sure you're going through appropriate ranges of motions, things like that. But I always feel like it ends up being a conversation of what mobility exercises I do I need to do now that I'm older, or what like extra like crazy exercise that they saw some 
PT throw out there I need to start doing because those are the little things that will keep me healthy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the things that they think will help them do what they once could. Yeah. Or, or in a way that resembles a 20 year old, but that's not what the goal should be. Well, even, yeah. even with that, they can do stuff a 20 year old can do if they work into it. If you can't squat, we can work on your mobility and getting you to squat. Will you squat 400 pounds like the 25 year old at your gym? No. But eventually, if a goal of yours is a squat, that is a very realistic goal. I mean, you're not going to do it as well. Are you going to be able to do 40 box jumps? No. We can get you to do one box jump. That may be a, a win. So the possibility of, of performing quite like a 20-year-old is not there, but you can do activities like a 20-year-old. You know, you kind of hope as CrossFit, because it's, it's I think CrossFit's done such a good job reminding people uh, who are 30 above that they can lift but just as crossfit has had kids and teen classes or or considerations that maybe gyms will start offering Uh, we know of um, one friend in particular her name is dawn green uh, former registered nurse who now works specifically with people who are uh, ages 15 above you see you wonder if that becomes more popular just given that like we said you have uh, to be more precise with the time that you're, you're in the gym just because you can't afford to take those risks and be out. Um, so that would be very interesting. Uh, so I have a, a question for you um, because you've attempted uh, to compete at a high level and had done pretty well in CrossFit. Um, and for those who don't know, you were uh, prior to that a football player. But do you have any thoughts of competing in CrossFit again now that you're approaching 30-something? Well, you know, that, that when, they, when they lowered the age down to 35, I was like, oh, yes, I'm getting there, um, which is, is good too. But you got to, I mean, possibly you can do it. I could do it. It's a, it's a time issue when you get to a certain point. Can I put the time in? Because at the younger ages, the requirements are still pretty much the same, just not quite as many reps or you know, as the volume goes. But the thing you got to consider when you, when you age is you, I think it's the old Toby Key song. I'm good once as I ever was, but I will never be good as I once was or something like that. I don't remember the exact quote, but basically saying there's a time when you were really good and I might be, uh, you know, my all time PR was a 495 pound back squat. Will I ever be able to do that again? Probably not, but am I at the best I can be at my age? And someone, someone actually just asked this on our Instagram. Um, couldn't a 40-year-old squat 400 and box jump 40 times if they like, took good care of themselves? And I think we're not saying throughout this podcast that that's at, like, not possible at all. Like Certainly athletes of that age can, can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's just that the training to get there is going to vary. Yeah, it's yeah, going to so, be substantially different from somebody who somebody who's 40 years old and wants to squat 400 compared to somebody who's 40 years old who just wants to be able to squat. Exactly. We're, yeah. we're kind of in between like all of the programs out there for the open field or for the 20-something and the ACSM guidelines, right? We're not advocating for the bare minimum. We're just recommending that you start somewhere in between somewhere that allows you to gain momentum 
and, and add some uh, some steam over time. So I, I guess to me, like like a it comes down to like the the training, like we were saying earlier, the training principles don't change. It's just you have to be more careful about how they're implemented and and monitor it more frequently. Like you can't be like you were saying earlier, so but you can't just throw like everything at them. You have to be a lot more. I don't know, thoughtful about it and have more communication back and forth. If like you're, it's a coach athlete type thing. And, uh, cause you can still see phenomenal progress. Well, you can see, you can see huge, uh, phenomenal, you know, gains. Uh, when I was actually playing football, at Utah state, we had uh, Dr. Goble. He actually invented that was a, one of the co-inventors of the ACL surgery. He actually was a doctor and did experiments on sheep. And he was, I mean, at the time, he was probably in his, I'd say, late 50s, early 60s. And this was 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And he would come into the weight room and train with us. And he would go up to the head strength coach, say, can I train? And, you know, he had quite a bit of money, so he had some influence as a booster. And would come in and work out with us. And, you know, he was, you know, late 50s and... He was at sometimes doing more weight than some of our freshmen that were in the weight room trying to get stronger. And he, we'd see him in the stadium running stadiums at six o'clock in the morning before he went into surgery, you know, and doing stuff that, you know, a college kid couldn't do. And he was, I think, a three-time Masters 100-meter dash champion. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like, oh, man, I'm 40 years old. I got to completely rein in my goals. You just have to understand that it's not going to be quite the easy road or easier road than you think it's going to be. It's going to take smarter programming, more considerations, being wiser with your time, being able to figure out how you can balance it. So it just, you know, the old saying, work smarter, not harder. Young kids can just plain work hard. When you get older, you got to work a little smarter. You got to be a little more wily, if you will, than just total vigor and enthusiasm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do really think that if you have trained hard in the past or you're looking to see, you know, how competitive you could be in a, a specific master's category in a specific master's sport, it probably is your best route to go along with a knowledgeable coach who could really help you address uh, these things. You know, these master's athletes have a little bit more disposable income than some of these younger athletes do it may be something that as you get older and you prioritize your health it it may be of increasingly more importance and if you're going to a group fitness class again you just want to make sure that you're scaling as you need that you are listening to your body certainly and that you are making steady progress over time not trying to do all too much at once uh, I think we've covered the majority of it. Sobo, I have a question for you. Um, you know, you had mentioned that had you had gone to regionals when you were in your late 20-somethings, you would have gone like the, the anti-Reebok route and have instead gone like the spaghetti strap uh, golds look. Yeah. And I want to know that, you know, after this baby – is well on its way and you have a little more free time that if you do 
go back to regionals. I don't know if Reebok makes people wear stuff like that, but well, they, you know, they, they may make you wear it, but they don't say you can't cut it into a spaghetti top. Sure. Just as have long, to have the logo on there. As long as you, as long as you promise us here on the podcast that you do that, I would feel. Uh, I would. I, you know, I, I remember watching some of the open or the regionals a couple years ago, and a guy did it like in a Ninja Turtles outfit. He had like a like all green spandex, but kind of one of the earlier years. He was kind of he knew he wasn't going to compete, but he did it all in like a green leotard type thing. <laughs> uh, so much. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I think the open is great. I actually work with a, a woman here who qualified her first year ever this was a couple years ago i didn't work with her then but she basically her son started her with crossfit so she did it and her first year she qualified for the games at 55 years old just you know she was kind of a lifelong athlete and said oh i'm gonna learn how to snatch and you know at 55 years old could snatch you know 100 pounds and she made it to the games the first year and then she got really really excited and kind of went overboard and she made it her first year and decided I'm going to go to two classes a day. I, you know, I'm going to do this. And she started training like a young kid. She was, you know, she started going to the competitors classes and, and she's had three shoulder surgeries since then. And we, she kind of talked to me, ran into me one day at one of the gyms in town and was asking me questions. And I said, you know, you can still squat, you can still snatch. It's just you can't be doing it five days a week like you did before. Like, yeah, you kind of lucked out your first year and you did it and made it. And then, you know, the last, the last previous five years, you've been hurt for the Open. And so kind of what I have her doing or kind of what she does now is she does, she does CrossFit. She does clean snatches, all that kind of stuff once a week. So she picks a day and she calls it her CrossFit day and she goes down to the box and she does that stuff. And the rest of the time, her workouts are very, and people might say very basic or vanilla, but that's what she needs. She needs to maintain upper body strength without, you know, doing a thousand reps of snatches. She can do two sets of four snatches and be good for her workout because it's not necessarily the, the, load that gets her it's the repetitions that get her so you know you got to just take into consideration some people might get a little overzealous and say wow i really crushed a workout i'm going to pick up my training load you have to understand that you know that training load is what kind of the biggest consideration is for masters athletes and they can actually do more with less doing more for for masters athletes does not help squatting every day squatting three days a week a master's athlete can squat once a week. And then you got to understand that you're not going to get the same volume in. A young person may squat f- twice a week for four months and end up having, you know, 15,000 reps in. And it might take you two years to get there. But you're getting there in two years healthy. It's just the the projection is a little less than the younger athletes. And I think that's kind of a, a big kind of mental barrier that people have to kind of get over and understand as well. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to, before we sign off, I was wondering if we could give like any, uh, kind of like a summary or specific, maybe like, uh, guidelines or generalities that we would say, uh, just to like kind of sum it up. Yeah, we, we started with a, a ACSM recommendation. We can end with a, a strength ratio recommendation. 
So yeah, what's in between what's out there and what the ACSM uh, has? Well, if I think about just general concepts, it would be, of course, as we mentioned, your responsibilities become greater. So you train as much as your time allows. You have to just kind of accept that that may not be uh, as much as either Kyle or I could train, but you work uh, as you work out as often as you can with the time that's available and understanding that, that 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 may be limited. You just want to make sure that you are focusing on the top priority things you need to focus on. If that's for a sport, you have an easier time because you're working with the specificity guidelines that the sport requires. If it's a little bit more general, then we would advise you to move in a way that feels as comfortable as possible. Uh, in a way that involves major muscle groups, but perhaps doesn't require high skill under either time constraints or under high velocity. That is, if you're not actively practicing a specific sport like a snatch or a clean, and that's your goal as a master's athlete. Uh, but otherwise, involving major muscle groups each session, uh, making sure that you are not hitting failure, you're keeping reps in reserve, and that when you do uh, push it a little bit harder, you just stay a little bit more mindful of exactly how well you're moving to keep the ego in check. And that if you do that over a long time, even though you're a master's athlete, even though you may be 50 or 60, you can keep, uh, keep training when you're 70, 80 and beyond because we're seeing it. You know, CrossFit puts out a lot of videos of these 80 and 90 year olds training. So I think that's kind of what we're all about is training for life, training to look good and feel good. And even if you have to detach from numbers that you had previously hit, that's okay because you're going to get all of the physiological and psychological benefits of exercising because you're not injured, right? Like that's the big thing, right? We want to make sure that you're in the gym frequently, having fun and feeling healthy. Uh, any last words from you, Sobo? I would say the goal, kind of the, the overall, you know, you talked about, you know, intensity and type and kind of frequency, understand the functionality. So there should be, you know, you could say functionality. If your goal is not a sport, maybe your goal is to be able to pick up a gallon of milk. Maybe your goal is to be able to get out of your couch without having to have somebody pull you up. So think of function as you age and if you can maintain that function you're probably doing something right or if you've lost that function we probably can help you achieve that function again everybody should be able to get out of a chair between the ages of you know six months and you know 100 years old you should be everybody should be able to stand up so think about functionality first with your training program what am i functionally lacking and we're not talking functional like a snatch is functional i don't care what crossfit says a snatch is not a functional lift no one ever takes something from the ground and throws it over their head in any aspect <laughs> of life what about a handstand push-up yeah or a handstand push-up or a muscle-up i grew up <laughs> in kentucky we had tobacco barns that's about the only time you'd have to do a muscle-up is climbing from one uh beam to the other to get up and hang a tobacco uh, what about what about kettlebells they're pretty functional <laughs> but so think about what you can do 
and then figure out how you can achieve that or what you can't do and how you may be able to improve or get better at whatever you want. So don't let don't chase numbers, chase function. And, and, and we get a lot of 20 and 30 somethings who have pushed so hard that they even at those ages have not begun to they haven't lost that function, but they've pushed it so hard that those functions are being challenged, right? And that's kind of a a polite reminder that you're really messing up and you're messing up a little too early in the game if we take this long-term sustainable approach. So yeah, I was just gonna jump in. I would say like my biggest like points would be less less intensity, more moderate to low intensity. Um, and then just like really tracking how you feel and your training in general and stuff, like being a little bit more focused on what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, but look at like, uh, that would go across all populations. I think, but what you just said is interesting because look at the endurance world, right? Usually you see people oftentimes improve or they seem to improve at a greater rate later in life with continued aerobic endeavors, which we haven't spoken about as much versus strength endeavors. But the majority of that training, so to speak, is low to moderate intensity, mm-hmm. right? It's like low impact, especially if they're Almost a runner. on a bike, but runners, runners might be a whole other thing. Stuff. But, yeah. you know, like when you see swimmers or uh, cyclists, they tend to have pretty successful careers later into life. So I think that speaks to this um, low to moderate intensity uh, for, for perhaps uh, longer times. Well, so, it, also, it also speaks to the it, – it takes a while for adaptation. I mean, we talk about doing low moderate intensity for aerobic training in order to cause that true adaptation that you see with your elite cyclists. I mean, elite cyclists are late, late twenties, early thirties, and even later in their thirties, you don't see a 21 year old elite cyclist or elite marathoner because it takes time for your body to adapt into, especially in aerobic training to increase your capillary density to cause mitochondria to grow, to increase myoglobin inside muscle. All that takes time. And if you are going really hard and getting hurt, you don't have that time consideration at all. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for episode two. Hopefully we didn't ramble too long. You guys we, got some good points. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the the notification ding is gone. has been turned off. So... Um, for those uh, who didn't even finish the first podcast, how dare you? Uh, the dings we apologize about, but we did eventually turn them off in episode one. So you can go back and listen to the end. Hopefully you make it through those uh, nasty interruptions. And if you haven't heard episode one and this is the first time you're tuning in, well, you can go back and learn more about us and what our foundational beliefs are with training it might make a little bit more sense here in this episode and keep asking questions we we want to answer your questions if we didn't answer them completely today um we will try to get to them in a, a message or the next episode yeah and then the uh, next episode we'll hopefully have becca on and either becca or myself will be doing the the intro yeah. cool thanks guys and we hope you stay tuned for our episode three